Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Elm Park Rolls podcast. Ah, been another dire weekend in the world of Reading Football Club. You probably could repeat that for probably the whole of 2018. So we took that directly into 2019 with an atrocious performance on the 1st of January against Swansea. To help me talk through these uh, horrific, horrific events, uh, I've been joined by Alex Everson. Hi. Evening, Paul. Evening. Uh, I've also been joined by Eric Aragard. Evening. Good evening. I've also been joined by uh, Neil, mostly Bobbins. Good evening. Yes, as, and as we found out yesterday, Neil, you're a big fan of cats. <laughs> I don't think this is new information, Paul. <laughs> and your main content in Twitter is basically a lot about cats, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> a lot less pushy action than you think. Oh, there we go. Straight into the 18 category. <laughs> yeah. We make the mood a bit more chipper, haven't we? Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. Uh, wow. Where do we start with that game yesterday? Um, well, first of all, Swansea scored with all their shots on target in the first half. So that's a pretty good, nice stat to start with. Two minutes in, they're allowed to get across into the box. No defender blocking it. Uh, Ollie McBurney gets in between two players and scores. Got to say, it's a good header. But wow, how easy did we make that for him? Alex, that, that start of the match. I mean... After all the promise of the QPR match... Um, from the weekend, to let a goal in two minutes into the game was rather disappointing. Um, yeah, the header was a good header, but all the same, you feel like somebody probably should get a foot in and block it before it comes in there. Yeah, what I watched it back, and uh, you see Swift runs off with a Swansea player when the cross is coming in. And also Omar Richards goes with the same man. So the cross is so easy. It's, it has time and he can shape it exactly where he wants it. Um, it just summed up the whole of the first half performance. It was like Jose Gomez said after the game, we basically gave Swansea City a lovely Christmas present. What would you make of that first half and just 20 minutes, Eric? It's just uh, abysmal. Yeah, yeah, I think... Um... Jose Gomez said after the game that the, the players were scared of the fans, which is something that can't continue. <laughs> I was thinking about the game um, going home, on my way home, which was um, prematurely that I left the game because uh, I didn't want to witness any more pain. But I was thinking about the fact that Swansea is probably one of the worst teams we could have played um, because they play how we aspire to play, I would assume, under Gomez. Um, but they've been doing it for a lot longer. So 
it wasn't a good team for us to play. They they keep possession, and as such, we couldn't impose ourselves on them. And then it just escalated from there and just got worse and worse. We said the yeah. same thing yesterday, actually, as well, that it was a terrible team for us to come up against. And it, actually, as soon as the first goal went in, the game was essentially over. Because yeah. no, I, are much better at the style of football that we want to try and emulate. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, totally. I mean, we had 58% possession, but as Gomez said as well after the match, just completely sideways football. If there's an opportunity to shoot, you've got to shoot. We were going nowhere with that possession. And I would predict a lot of that was in the second half after the fourth goal went in. When Swansea, I mean, they didn't they didn't switch off completely. But when you're 4-0 up against a, a team of such poor quality as we are, you don't really need to attack anymore, do you? You're kind of the game is finished and oh, just painful viewing, sitting there watching it. I can totally see why you left early, Eric, because that was it was not enjoyable at all. And we all knew, even like you said, I kind of hoped after the first goal we might come back into it. And before the second goal, I thought we were slightly coming back into the match. But then we managed to give away another comedy goal. Uh, what did you make of that second goal, Neil? Oh, it just it just summed up so much of the season, didn't it? Really, um, there was just again, it's just individuals not not acting as team players, isn't it? Um, it's it's I mean, it's kind of boring to kind of go over the details and the minutiae of it, but almost everything that we do is it doesn't contribute, you know, any skill for the opposition. All they have to do is wait for a mistake from us, and. It just, I mean, even the th- the third goal as well. Everyone just watches the entire procession going on, and a guy just ghosts in from nothing to to score. You know, teams really don't have to try too hard to score against us. It seems, and we just haven't got anything to counteract it at all. There's nothing in our armory to stop these things happening. It seems. Uh, no, and someone who was, I thought, had, you know, it's it's harsh to pick out individuals because there was plenty of players who played poorly yesterday, but repeatedly we're seeing teams focus their attack down their right-hand side and our left-hand side. And Omar Richards, I mean, for the second goal, I thought he was poor. He played the player onside. For the third goal, he uh, completely went asleep and let Van Horn score, just a tapping, essentially. And throughout the game, he he was concerning me. And I've seen this repeatedly now, week after week when he plays. And I know he's playing because Black is suspended. But what do you think of Omar Richards at the moment, Alex? Is that... uh, well, I think he has the same issues he had last year. He looks relatively okay going forwards. He seems to give an option, you know, an overlap when we're, when we're attacking. But defensively, he gets caught out a lot. Um, I mean, I give him a little bit of a pass because he doesn't get a lot of help on from the midfield. Um Barrow sometimes is tracking back to help him, but whether it's often enough, given that Richards is an inexperienced championship defender, is is arguable, really. Um, but Richards defending, I'd say it's, it's mainly he seems to be his positioning and his awareness, just they lack somewhat uh, compared to one of the more experienced wing backs. I would, yeah, I, I would hope that Blackett comes back in and plays left back once his suspension is up. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think I'll put him uh, straight back into the team in that position. So, thankfully, or even, even sure. more if, um, if we can get Jordan Obita back to some sort of level of fitness, I do think we miss him a lot. Um, 
even Blackett sometimes as positionally. I almost prefer Blackett as centre-back or as part of a back three. Um, but I'd, I'd certainly start him over Richards at the moment. <laughs> Richards playing. But Jose Gomez has got to find a way to, to get that left-hand side some protection. And Mo Barrow, I don't think, is the answer. No, no, I agree. Um, possibly you could move maintain to that left-hand side. And then you could play Bodvarsson, but it doesn't appear that Gomez is keen on Bodvarsson, really. Even though when he came on, he was one of the all, all three players that came on actually had an impact, I thought. I mean, Aloda set up the goal. You could say that um, Harry otherwise played quite well, apart from the goal, which he took quite well. And Bodvarsson definitely got involved. I mean, in the first half, Mate was just nowhere to be seen. I, I don't know what he was actually... I found it really frustrating watching many players yesterday. Yadon was awful. McCleary, I thought, was dreadful as well. Just senior players just letting the whole team down repeatedly. And it's, yeah, it's 2019, but it's exactly the same. There's no difference. I think that's one, of the, one of the worst parts of it for me was uh, from your captain, McCleary, uh, a new captain at that, he had a terrible game. I didn't notice him doing anything that would be worthy of, you know, a captain's role. And then he got substituted. And how many captains get substituted for, you know, you wouldn't even say it was a tactical reason. It was like, well, let's give Harriet some minutes. Uh, and it, you take your captain off. I mean, that shows how much of a, a bearing he had on the team. Maybe it's a lost cause completely. And, it, you know, it's beyond whoever is captain. But I thought McCleary completely disappeared. Yeah, I mean, I think the only two players that come out of that match with any slight of credit, definitely Irinomoto. He's been consistent since he came into the match, into the team, sorry. You can't, you know, can't knock his efforts at all. Um, and I thought Aluko did okay. Um, no way was he pulling up any trees. It wasn't a 7 or 8 out of 10 performance, but it was a 5 or a 6, which was above quite a lot of the players on that team. Aluka was definitely more involved than I would have expected him to be six months ago or, you know, earlier in 2018. Um, like you say, I'm not sure he, not sure he was man of the match, but yeah. he did fine. Which yeah, which is, is more than better, than, is better than nine or ten of the other players on the field. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to come on to the mentality now about the players. And as uh, Eric brought up earlier, Gomez, after the match, is uh, saying it looked like the players were scared to play in their own stadium in front of their own supporters. Supporters come to the stadium to enjoy their team playing and winning. If they don't play well, they shout, it's normal, it's football. The players must show to them they have the energy. I mean, I was getting absolutely zero energy off the players yesterday. <coughs> it's a constant theme, isn't it, Eric, that we're having these problems brought up about mentality and how the players are not strong enough. I mean, the other issue is obviously not good enough. We can't run away from that. It's not all a mental issue. But what do you think of the mental issues? They seem to have. They seem to be so fragile. So yeah, fragile. Yeah, I think I think mentality is a, a huge problem. What I did like was um, Gomez saying it's a problem with the players. It's a problem in the squad, and it's not you know not trying to blame the fans, like perhaps Yapstam did earlier in his tenure. Um, I do think, you know, you're a professional footballer. There should be a level of expectancy that you can tolerate some stick from the crowd, etc. Um, and I also think along with the mentality is the, the physical aspect. There's a huge problem around fitness. If you look at the amount of 
long-term injuries, you know, Abita, Harriet, McCleary, Azatali, where's he gone? Elphick when he was here. So, sure, some of them are down to luck, but it does seem that we have above average in terms of the amount of injuries for the last few years now. And I think that then can't help mentally when players aren't fully fit physically. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is something that's coming up every week. I mean, Alex, I mean, we were only talking about this probably last week, the injury issues. Yeah, even well, even the players who aren't injured and are playing don't necessarily appear to be fit. I mean, Swift yesterday, after 45 minutes, looked like he could have coughed up a lung. Yeah. He was just done. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's just... Really done. He looked, like he, was, he looked like he didn't want to be on the field, which, to be honest, doesn't really differ from most weeks with John Swift. But... Um, yeah, he, he looked as if he is incredibly unfit and just had no interest in coming back out for the second half. No, I think there's multiple players there at halftime that would have happily gone home, which is a real sign of the players that we've got. I think there's very few players that actually wanted to stand up. And it's kind of sad that one of the, one of the players that stood up the most was an academy player in Rinomoto. What, what does that say about the rest of the senior players that... They can't lead him. He has to lead them. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and I think not really. Not <clears throat> it just seems to be a whole, you know, a lack of cohesion from them, doesn't it? They don't really want to fight for each other. They don't want to fight for the fans that are watching them. And I mean, let's be fair, we're not exactly the most vociferous fans in the world, are we? We're not chucking stuff on the field of play. We're not really berating them from the off and you know, booing their every touch. I know there was sometimes when we boo players and, you know, odd occasions when some players you, you have done some really stupid things and they've become, you know, like Blackett last season. But we're not a tough crowd. We're not a tough crowd. If something goes wrong, you know, all you get is a collective groan. It's not as if we're really slaughtering them. But it just seems as if there's, there's no one in that squad that is really willing to fight. And it just spreads like a virus, I think. And as you say, Rinomoto is the only one really that drives forward with some kind of purpose. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really sad to see that they don't realise how much, you know, it does hurt the fans that we're in this situation. And it, it does come across as if they don't care, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, I mean, we've just been through this uh, so many times, but I think it was just double blow after a slight glimpse of kind of positivity after the QPR match was was really... I mean, we're so poor that we cling on to anything. And obviously now we're five points adrift. I, I don't know. I can't see anything in that team that's going to make me think that we're going to claw that back. I just don't see that fight at all. Uh, I mean, do any of, you, any of you see that in that team at all? Gomez says that, you know, he's going to trim the squad, which absolutely we have to do. But unless we have additions, you're still left with the same players that collectively can't raise their game. So outbound is fine, that's needed, but the amount of players or the, the quality of the players that's got to come in, mentally and tactically, technically as well, obviously, um, has got to be so much better. So th th there's got to be a significant change for it to turn around and make it some way that we can get out of the relegation zone. I'll remain a little bit hopeful if only for the fact that the quality of the championship is really, really, really poor. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Ipswich are abysmal and are practically relegated already. Bolton got beat 6-0 yesterday by Hull and are not that good either. 
Um, uh, I mean, the only the the only issue with these these other teams is they do seem to be able to pick up wins. Bolton scrape these one nil wins from time to time, um, whereas we don't we don't seem to be able to do, and we haven't done for the past two months. Was it now yeah. ten games without a win? Ten games without a win, and I think the other worrying statistic is I think we're eight points worse off than we were this time last year, last season, and last season obviously it got quite close. So that's all. Yeah, I mean, the positive spin on that I would say is that at least Jose Gomez has identified the fact that the problem is within the squad. He wants to trim the squad, so it's just whether he can do it or not. That's the the big question. Yeah, yeah. The major is is any does anyone want our players? That is the underlying issue, isn't it, when it comes to transfers? I think a number of our players would actually be wanted by teams lower down in the pyramid. McShane yes. Yeah, is, but would they want to go there? Mailer is one. Edwards is one who's already been rumoured. And whilst we might not be able to get rid of them fully, like as a completely gone off the books, it, I can see a number of them basically heading out on loan with Reading paying, I don't know, 50, 60, 70% of their wages, yeah. just to basically try and free up some kind of cash to get any kind of loan in. Yeah, I think to, the other point to that is that there's a, a lot of speculation on social media, obviously, but there's a, it seems to be a few bad eggs within the squad. So it's almost worth taking a hit, perhaps, to get rid of that influence in the dressing room. I mean, someone like Paul McShane, supposed to be the club captain, and yet he's... Uh, obviously been told by the club he's no longer wanted um so getting people like that off the books and out of the club in order to improve the des- dressing room sort of mentality and atmosphere um i think it's important yeah uh, massively moving on to the uh, actual transfer window I had some questions about it from uh, some people on uh, twitter uh Panos and nutmegs has uh, asked the question regarding the transfer window which positions do you think you need to be addressed most urgently can any of them be addressed internally from the academy or is it a case of needing to bring players in during January? This is a great question, if only for the fact that I think most Reading fans are going to have a different answer. Okay. Go on then, Alex. What do you think then? Um, personally, I would probably go for a winger. If I could only pick one position, um, Barrow is no, not the player he was 18 months ago um, and I don't really see any way that he's going to change that in the next four or five months uh, McCleary I mean he's come back and he's playing games but I don't really know how much he's adding to the squad uh, Sims again like another player who doesn't really add a lot not really much impact when he has started games so yeah ideally I would want a winger who can actually run at players and create create crosses if we're going to play one up top if we're going to play Mate or Bodvarsen up top a, a winger who can get to the byline and put the ball in yeah that would be quite nice and it would be good if we had a striker who was uh, either able to stay fit or give more than five or six good matches in four or five months I mean Mate did okay in that smell spell, smell, spell a few months ago but I mean, the last few matches, he hasn't looked good. And I know he's just come back from injury. And you could say he's still probably injured, maybe, slightly. But he's not shown me anything at the moment that's going to make me think that he should be in the team ahead of Bodvarsson. Not really. I mean, 
Would you think Bodvarsson should be in the team at the moment or Mate? Which you think? Just a yes or a no, Neil? Yes or no? I would say Bodvarsson for his experience more than anything else. I think Mate was getting very frustrated against Swansea, um, to which he wasn't playing his natural game. He wasn't trying to to bully the defenders like he usually does. Um, and I think Swansea's two central defenders just had him in, in the in his pocket really. Um, and I think what Varson just gives you a little bit more of a, a wiliness about him, really. Um, and obviously, he, he has scored goals as well. So it's not as if you're playing a striker that hasn't scored goals. He's done that too. What do you think, Eric? Bodvarsson or Mate? Yeah, I think I think Bodvarsson just. His record for us is, is not actually that bad, if, especially if you consider the positions the team, have, the, the team has been in in the last two seasons. When he plays, he does tend to score. Um, so, yeah, Bodvarsson just. And uh, in terms of the, the question about positions, I, I've actually said, I, I made some, some notes before this when that question came in. And I actually think that the personality and the attitude of the player is almost more important than the position that they play. We have players for each position. The squad is way too big. We need some people in their experience, winners that can give the others a kick up the backside. Yeah, that's probably, I mean, if we go back, that's probably one of the reasons we bought Paul McShane and Stephen Quinn, isn't it? Yeah. Attitude. And yeah, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. Attitude is key here. I mean, Alex, what do you think? Well, talking of the uh, attitude, I mean, the academy players, didn't they go on a run of, what is it, 14 games unbeaten so far this season? Before yes. Yeah, Scott I think Marshall so. yeah, Scott Marshall go, took yeah. over the first yeah. team for a few weeks. I mean... You can't really look much further than a team who's gone unbeaten 14 games. If you want to pick players out, it, there's not really many better places to start. If you want to start making changes this weekend, that would probably be the best place to start. Um, I don't know who would be the best players to pick out of the academy. I am not, can't say I'm an expert on, on the under-23 squad, but uh, that seems like the obvious place to start. Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen of Osho, he looked okay. I mean, oh, yeah, he's going to make mistakes, but all of the team are going to make mistakes. So the players that have come in, like Osho, Moore, Ilori, they've all got mistakes in them, I, big ones. I can't see a reason to play O'Shea over Osho. No, not going to. What, like, no, what difference does it make yeah. to the squad? What difference does it make to the first team if O'Shea is playing? No, I he, agree. Osho, yeah. Six months and... None of us, none, none of the fans are that bothered if O'Shea is playing. Whereas at least O'Shea has the backing of, he has the backing of the fans. If he makes a mistake, people and people are going to be frustrated, but they're not going to jump on his back straight away. Yeah, I mean, you'd rather have O'Shea have minutes on the field, even if it's in a struggling side because he's learning. He's not learning anything off the bench, and what he doesn't get on because central defenders tend not to get substituted on. He's not learning a thing. Whereas. You know, we're still losing with O'Shea in the side, so what's the point? You might as well put O'Shea in and let him learn. Yeah, and it comes down to the question of attitude and and sort of mentality. And, he, you know, O'Shea's a player that's heading for his third straight relegation. So yeah. I'd, I'd sooner see O'Shea, to be honest. Or even McIntyre yeah. when he comes back fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, there's another question I had from Rob Stevens, which is slightly different, but in the same kind of area. Leaving aside the poor performance in the scenes, we're no longer seriously competitive at championship level. More worryingly, with no director of football, we no longer have anyone focused on strategic recruitment with an understanding of the club and wider leagues. I mean, that is a position 
that is unfilled. Who knows what the owners are going to do on that front? But just so long, we've had different voices. We've obviously been through the Teverdin era. We then been through the kind of Ron Gourlay. We've had Keir Characham involved before. I mean, who knows what's going to be happening now? Um, what do you think on the director of football role or whatever you want to call it, Alex? How, do you think that's a key role? I think it is. It seems to be a key role at the club. Um, to me, it feels like Teverden still has some kind of influence. I don't know whether it's at the club, but he posts something. If he posts anything on Twitter, the first thing that happens is that Reading fans flock to him and ask him to come back to Reading. Um I, I don't even know if he was that successful in the role, personally, when he was here. I mean, if you look at some of the purchases that came in when he was here, it's, his record is OK at, at very best. Um, I mean, I can see I can see that position going unfilled until summer. And yeah, I think just, we're just we're, we're going to we're going to end up waiting to see what, what league we're in before that position gets filled. Yeah, that was pretty much what I was going to say, really, is that. We've changed everything that we think we need to for emergency reasons lately. Um, but we haven't done that one. And I think that's purely because of knowing where we're going to be, um, whether we can survive in January with whatever we can get inbound from whatever Hal does or whoever controls that. Um, that's one thing. But anything further than that needs a director of football for the appropriate level, which will be addressed in the summer, I would say, yeah. Yeah, as soon as the next player's now seen sat in the director's box, it's, uh, oh, he's going to be the next uh, director of football. I mean, I don't know. We've also, I forgot, we had Gianluca Nani as well, didn't we? I forgot about his brief reign that was uh, completely uh, stamped on by Keir Jarrett, allegedly, as uh, we don't have any actual proof of that. Uh, but um, I don't know. It's a, it is a major problem that we have no focus. We have no one goal, um, but that's been going on for years. And that's, you know, the real core reason of why we are where we are, which you've been through a thousand times, isn't it? You would you would hope that the majority of the staff of the club don't know what the focus has to be during January. Like Eric said, it, it, the position and the quality, well, the quality, I guess, does matter, but the position doesn't really matter of the player you're bringing in anymore. You just need to bring in someone with the right attitude and the right mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, you don't need a director of football to work that out. No, you'd hope not. And with the owners getting more involved, I mean, they've clearly have appointed their man. This doesn't strike me as a Nigel Howe decision um, that they'd bring in a Portuguese manager, which um, seems to be a big factor, doesn't it? That he's from Portugal for some people. But um, I don't know. It's uh, it just kind of... I just want something positive to kind of find out of this because it's really difficult at the moment going to watch us and yeah, well, if a player why would a player want to come to us that's what yeah, I, was. I was just going to say what what really baffles me is that we we had a relatively successful season in the not so distant past under Yapstan that first season but what we really haven't done is replace the two two of the key players that season which was Danny Williams and an aging Jan Kermigan we still haven't really replaced either of those players um, and uh, you know, I think most fans can see that, and it's just baffling to me how we haven't managed to do that. 
No, it's scouting. It's been abysmal. Recruitment has been awful for, it's not one window, isn't it? It's probably since uh, two two years, really, isn't it? At least it's been dreadful. Um, do you think um, going forward, they're going to be able to get rid of any of these players? Because Gomez said after the match that we're only going to be able to get new players in after we've got rid of these. I mean, realistically, how are we going to get rid of some of these big earners? Are we going to take? A, are we actually going to say we're going to take a huge hit here on someone even like Sonia Luca, who only played the other day? Is that going to happen? I mean, not sure. It's just so many things need to happen, isn't it? As, as Jacob said in the, in the last podcast, you know, there's three parties that have got to agree to all facets the inbound club, the outbound club, and the player himself. And if you multiply that by all the players that we need to uh, get rid of, that's a lot of work and a, a lot of a lot of people needing to say yes. And then to go to Alex's point, how many of those are going to be loans and how much are we willing to pay still of the wages of those players? So, you know, we could have over 10 players that we wish to get rid of and how many of those are going to get all their ducks in a row and agree to go and all the parties agree within January? It, it's such a tough ask. And then, you know, is it really that dependent on those players going out for us to get quality in? If if that's the case, then we're really hamstrung because we've got to wait for those deals to happen. Yeah. I think if that is the case, we are we are totally screwed in yeah. all honesty. Um, the, 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 there are probably... A couple of players, I would say, have got a, I would say, realistic chance of leaving the club permanently. Um, there's a few obvious ones, I guess. Edwards is one. Mailer is one. Um, probably one a little bit out there, I would say, is Liam Moore. I think he's got a pretty strong chance of leaving the club in January now. Um, just purely because I think if he doesn't, if he if he stays, the, does our centre back does our defence get any worse? We've conceded that, like, I think it's over 150 goals from him in two seasons, in two full seasons, that is, with him playing at centre-back. I mean, it's it's all well and good that he's a great defender, but we don't actually look that good in defence when he plays. So, uh, like, if a club came in and offered, I don't know, six, five million maybe, I think the club would almost be forced to accept it just so that they could try and invest in other areas of the squad now. We've got that. He's the only player we've got, other than Renamoto, you could say, that's got any collateral, really, that we could leverage against anyone else. It's just we're, we're taking a hit to get to get shot of them. Yeah, uh, 100%. And the problem is if we get relegated, what's going to happen is all those players that we've got, like Renamoto and even someone like Omar Richards, who could be fine in League One, and they've got the Osho, we've got the McIntyre, Loder we're not going to be able to keep hold of some of those players because other clubs in the championship will come in for them possibly and say, you know, <laughs> we can take that player. And I mean, I just had a question here from Eleanor Flotte. Is it unrealistic in 2019 to feel part of the club you support? There's an evident disconnect between fans, owners and players. We've no characters that come <laughs> more. Don't know the owners or the players like in previous RFC eras. Anyone else feel similar? That, that is pretty much where it is, isn't it? I mean, can you connect with the club as it is right now? Well, I can't. 
Not really. No, there's no connection at all, is I, there? I think you... it's I don't I don't think it's exclusive to us though. I think I think generally the the more people are getting involved with social media, the, the more they want interaction and the less they get it, so the more they feel a disconnect. Whereas back in the day, you, you as someone said on the radio, you could go to the pub and find a player and have a chat with him. Now that doesn't happen these days because you know players are a lot different breed than they used to. So I think in in some ways we're asking for something that we're never going to get. Um, but yeah, the, the, there is an, an awful lot the club can do generally. But we're not going to get back to to certain times when we feel the players were more accessible. I think. I think it's a bit of a synonym of a losing club, though. If, oh, yeah, if, if you look back five years ago when Alex Pearce, Carajan, Morrison, they were a lot of a lot of players were happy to interact with fans on social media because we were doing well. At the yeah. minute, if any of our players come out on social media, the first thing that happens is they get insulted. Yeah, no, no, that's totally true. But it's it's also like, I the get they don't yeah, we can't relate with the owners at all, though. No, so John Medeski, he was around town. You'd see him in town sometimes or wherever you were. It wasn't impossible to bump into him somewhere. Well, none of us are ever going to bump into the owners ever. But that's, <laughs> it's not that's, that's the same at many clubs, though. We, we do have a tendency to think that we're unique. We're not unique. We're just one no. of many other clubs that are exactly. I know, but the thing is, we've lost that. The, but the problem is, we've lost that connection. Whether we're, we're not, unique or not, I'm not worried about all the other clubs. I'm worried about Reading. So that is, but you're asking for something yeah. that doesn't happen elsewhere. So why why do we think it's going to be different? I think it's it does exactly the same for any other clubs, though. I think it does happen at some other clubs, but you know it's it's fine. You know, we yeah. Just, if you look fine. at if you look at someone like Leicester, for example, I don't think that owner was in Leicester, in and around Leicester all the time, but he certainly did a lot of things in and around the town that warmed to the fans, and obviously you could see the, the amount the fans loved him and. I'm not expecting our owner to be, you know, visible completely. Uh, and I'm hoping that with Nigel Howe back, he can kind of recapture some of that connection somehow from the Medeski era, which is obviously he was a big part of. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it's, it's pretty dire, to be honest. And I think it's back to Alex's point, it's just because we're not doing very well. The players don't want to come out on social media and, and take a hammering. Who, who would? I wouldn't. No, no, I don't blame them at all. No, totally. I mean, some of the, constructive criticism is fine. Okay, if you're going to say to a player, I don't think you're very good at the moment, I don't think any player, well, very few of them, could say that that was unfair criticism. But if you're going to just shouting abuse at them and just hate at them, why would you want to get yourself involved with that? that that's not helping anyone, really, is it? I, you know, I, I can see why they back away from that. So, moving on to an enjoyable game that we're all looking forward to, Manchester United away. Now, the good thing is that they're not in form and they haven't been in banging in many goals at all. And it's perfect timing. I know, I've just got that slightly wrong, haven't they? Is there a po- worse possible moment to be playing them in the last six months than right no. now? No. 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 <laughs> I mean, obviously, they're, they're probably going to beat us anyway. I mean, it feels inevitable anyway, but I feel that we could get an absolute pounding, even with their reserve team. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. I was trying to think of any sort of positive spin that, um, from the last couple of weeks. And what I would say is that the Swansea game was very short, shortly after the QPR game, where we played quite well. We know that fitness is an issue. 
So I would almost be tempted for, for us, or I'd want us to um, rest what we perceive as our first 11. I don't think we necessarily know, but rest the players and make sure that we're fully fit because the, the, the next home game against Nottingham Forest is now going to be undoubtedly the biggest game of the season. Um, Again. QPR are a good side. We, we played reasonably well by all accounts and then we really struggled yesterday and it could be a fitness thing um, as well as the being scared of the fans uh, thing. So I would almost say, you know, rest all the key players for the Man United game. The chances of us winning, even if we do win, the FA Cup run might be a distraction in either case. And just make sure the team's ready for the for the 12th of Jan against Forest. This is, this is something I was saying yesterday, actually, while, while I was at the game. How many changes do you think we could actually realistically make to that team from yesterday and still call it our first 11? Oh. <laughs> wow. know, I mean, when somebody yeah. gave, I think it's Tom Crocker, put out a list of all the players that aren't involved, it's scary. I genuinely think we could probably make nine or ten changes to that team from yesterday, put it out and call it the first 11, and people wouldn't have a massive issue with it still. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. We could make huge amount. I'm sure we will. I mean, I hope we do, because in some ways, I mean, it'd be great for Rinomoto to play there, but I don't want to be part of a team that gets absolutely damaged badly, and that wouldn't be good for him, because he's a key player for us now. I mean, it's, it's a bit ridiculous that we've got to that point, but he is an absolutely massive player. And as you were saying earlier, Eric, he's probably the nearest we've had to Danny Williams since he left. Yeah. And he played 10 games or so. It's, it's hardly anything, is it? So He should be playing every game from now to the end of the season, though. That's the thing. Yeah. There's no... I don't risk any injury with him. I no. Okay, yes, apart from the Man U game. Yeah. Apart from Game, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's got to play every game, um, uh, even if he has a dip in form. He has to play because I, wouldn't, no, I can't no. see any reason to be pulling Bakuna in ahead of him or and a different midfield combination. Like he's, he's pretty clearly been the best player in the squad for the last what two months, two and a half months since he's come into the team. We could have a dream moment of David Mailer against Pogba. That could be um, uh, quite an interesting combination. Yeah, I, part of me would like to see that. Yeah, part of me would really like to see that. I'd like to see that happen. That's that's not a good side of me, though, is it really? I shouldn't really uh, put that in public view. But um, so hopefully we will, I don't know. I mean, if we get a replay, I'll be absolutely astonished. Um <laughs> Yeah, I really will be. Yeah, no, if we get a replay, I'll do, I'll do, if we get a replay, I'll do this podcast next week in a Swindon Town shirt. That's how confident. Wow. <laughs> I am absolutely confident. That suggests you've already got one, Paul. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'd have to order one. I'd find the cheapest one possible. But I just have absolutely no faith in our team to be able to get something. I hope I'm wrong. And I hope I'm sat here in a Swindon shirt next week. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth, but we will see. Yeah, I'll so, let's lower the bar a bit. Do you think we'll actually score? Oh no, maybe, maybe we got one goal in no, two goals in six get matches now. I don't yeah, know. Maybe might stop. Um, I will almost go as far as to say as I really hope we don't get a replay because the fitness of our squad is that poor that it's just another game. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can't it. see it. I, I'm seeing. I, mean, I wouldn't make that prediction if uh, if I thought it was going to happen. That would be foolhardy. So. Thanks a lot for um, uh, listening. And if you have enjoyed the show, give it some ratings on iTunes. I bring this up every week and some people are giving it some. So I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. And if you can have a bet on the match, 
probably, I guess, you're going to bet on us getting absolutely hammered. Do it through Fans Bet and sign up to Elm Park Rolls through that site. So thanks a lot. Anyway, cheers.